This is Hawaii Rising, a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund. I'm Suyuno Amos. I'm Kenji Cataldo. Today we're having a follow-up conversation about language acquisition and immersion for the new generation, or laing. Laing Hawaii utilizes heritage language learning as a tool for social and political education. In our first episode with Laing, we spoke with Anthony Arce and Rebecca Goldschmidt about the formation of the organization and about their thoughts on heritage language learning. Check that out in episode 14. Today, we're hearing from three other leaders of Laing sharing stories from their own language learning journeys. Okay, so today we are here talking with um, Laing. We're talking with Becca, Catherine, and Janine, who are all from Laing, uh, involved with Laing. Would you each like to just introduce yourselves and tell us what your role is? Sure, I will go first. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Becca, and um, I'm the newest board member um, for Laing. And uh, prior to that, I was a student in actually one of their language programs. I was trying to look back to see what cohort I was a part of, but I can't find it. Regardless, I learned a lot of things that I didn't think I would learn, and I got hooked. And so now I'm on board. Um, and I'm going to pass it off to Kat. <laughs> Good afternoon. My name is Catherine Tailon. I'm born and raised on the island of Kauai. I moved on Oahu in 2018. I graduated with Ilocano Language and Literature degree from University of Hawaii at Manoa. I started Elaine as a capstone with Dr. Aurelio Akawili when we were at the Filipino Community Center. I hopped on in Elaine 3, and then I've just been part of Elaine. I was here when it turned into Laing Hawaii, where we dropped off the I and just turned into a language acquisition and immersion for the new generation to include more heritage language learners. I did not start as an Ilocano language major. I actually started into pre-nursing and I took Ilocano as like an elective. And then from there, I had fantastic like faculty and staff in the Ilocano department. And I realized there was a need to learn Ilocano. So I'm really excited to be here. I'm really happy with where it evolved now in 2022. And now I get to be on the call with Becca and Janine. And now we have more support from you folks. And I might talk a lot. <laughs> so I'm going to kick it over to Janine. Um, Janine. Hi, everyone. My name is Janine. I um, am one of the original board members. Um, I was at ELA Inc. 3 with uh, Rebecca, Anthony, and Yvette, and Kat. Uh, and I deal with the money mostly. I do spreadsheets for everyone. But uh, same with Kat. I, well, not really same as Kat, but a coworker told me about this community class. Um, she knew I was Ilocano and she knew I didn't really speak it very well or at all. And I've been hooked ever since. I really enjoyed this process of um, finding community in people who are on the same boat as me. Awesome. Well, Kat, you started to talk about how um, taking an Ilocano course kind of changed your academic trajectory. Um, and I would just love to hear for all of you what the experience of, of learning Ilocano uh, has meant to you, What kind, if you could describe that process and um, I guess why you decided to stick with it and also step into this bigger role with Laing. 
Um, I think so. I started Ilocano really because my sister took me to a placement exam with Dr. Relio Akawili. I was super confident because I grew up speaking Ilocano and learning Ilocano in the household. So University of Hawaii Manoa has a placement exam. I only got placed in 102 because it was one of those free credit things where they're like, oh, if you place really high, you can get 16 free credits. So I was like, okay, let's try. So I was kind of surprised that I didn't get more credits. But it's really because there's so much intricacy and I'm so excited for Becca and Janine to talk about it because there's all this little parts and languages where even if I grew up speaking it, I had no idea why it was the way it is. Like I learned so much things about grammar, phonetics um, and the cultural aspects. So what's really awesome about Lang and Elang is that there's so much cultural aspect and there's so much culture with the language I think that's where I started getting really obsessed because it's the more I learned about Ilocano and formally and informally, I learned more about myself and my family and my community. And I'm the same with Janine where it just felt like we're all on the same boat. And when I started looking into other Ilocano or Austronesian languages, I was like, oh, that's how you say water. That's how we say water. And there's just so much, all these little similarities. And I learned that language is such a, connecting part amongst communities and amongst people. So, I mean, it was just really exciting. And I think it's because I also missed home because I moved from Kauai to Oahu. So I was trying to find different friends and communities. And I just, I got really lucky. I'll just kick it off to Becca now. I, I think I've been asked this. So basically my relationship with with language learning, let alone Ilocano, because that's the language that my parents spoke and my grandmother, who pretty much raised me while my parents are working multiple jobs, spoke. Um, there was no urgency or kind of um, priority to teach me that language. And I, and it's that second class citizen kind of, you know, the, the long lasting effects of colonialism. But I was just really taught, like, you should speak English well, you should really try to be as you, you know, US centric as possible. Um, but still there's like cultural portals and I, you know, the, it's the food, it's how they spoke to me. They, they never spoke to me in English, but they expected me to speak proper English. And so finally I had this opportunity to learn, um, in a community setting and, um, it was very interesting, the responses I would get from my family members, like just like laughter and chuckles of like, why are you trying to learn? You know, like, why do you need to learn? And just by learning these like nuances, the things that I used to like make fun of my grandmother for um, about how she would mix up genders. And uh, just because that's not something that's in Ilocano language, like uh, I think like Isuna or whatever, you, that can be a girl or a guy. Um, and it's the context that you're using that word in. And so I, I grew appreciation for that. And then I had to rely on my family in ways that I never had to. Um, whether it was like learning ancestral knowledge and practices that I don't know why I shied away from. And it might be again, that like second class citizen kind of mindset of like, you know, if it's brown, don't touch it <laughs> uh, kind of ideal. And so there was a lot of like learning, working through trauma. And you don't think that you would learn that I guess like when you're learning a language maybe that you don't necessarily you've you've uh, you're not attached to it in the in this way me being Filipino and, and my parents speaking this language um it's exciting right it's like oh this is great it's sort of like a romantic kind of um adventure but then when you're learning something that's really attached to you that's like there are just things that you realize oh my god I've suppressed that 
and, um, and dealing with it and wrestling with it. And I feel like I'm a much better person for that. And now that I I've experienced that, I really want to share it with like my family, like my cousins, uh, and just anyone I'm like, just so excited. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been my journey with, with that. And I'll hand it off to Janine. I feel like my mom was the same in that she didn't really understand why I wanted to learn the Locano, uh, why we chose to continue the program. She's like, why? Why do you need to do that? And um, I guess I was thinking about it a couple of days ago when I went to the Philippines in 2018 with, uh, with Rebecca, Anthony, and Yvette, I had made a stop to visit my family and all of the kids could only speak Tagalog. And we're, we're in, uh, my mom's family is in La Union, which is kind of, it's still Ilocano, um, but the kids aren't learning anymore. So I'm like, oh, if they're not learning and the rest of the diaspora isn't learning, it's gonna it's gonna be lost. We're gonna lose it, um, and that's that was really scary to me. Thank you all for sharing your stories about you know what this language learning journey has been like for you. And it sounds like there's been a lot of um, transformation that happens in ways you wouldn't expect um, when learning a language. And um, Catherine, I just wanted to. Uh, ask if you could give a little context for everyone listening um, about since you were around, you know, you, you lying really grew out of your capstone project. And could you just explain, you know, the difference between e-lying and how you've seen lying grow and that whole process? Sure. Yeah, of course. So uh, e-lying was really Ilocano focused. Um, being really Ilocano focused is already very, um, kind of controversial because it's not like the national Tagalog language. I have a lot of people ask me like, oh, do you know Tagalog? And I'm like, not at all. Like, they just like, I don't know anything of it. Because um, it was always one of those things like, why are you very Ilocano focused? Like there's the main national language and there's a bunch of different ones. So that was always something. But for me, learning Ilocano and teaching Ilocano was very personal because that's what we spoke in the household. So that's why I was just very like, Ilocano focused with Ilaing until I started realizing there's just a bigger need across the board and more languages to include because the Philippines itself has like 180 islands or 180 languages. There's a lot of different ones. There's Ilocano, Visayan, Kapangpangan, Cebuano, um, Iboloid. There's a lot of different like regional languages and there is a lot of controversy that they're um, dialects instead of languages, but they're absolutely different languages because I don't know anything for Tagalog or Filipino. So it's interesting because we have um, students that are attending UH Manoa that speak like Pangpangan or Ilocano in their household. So they're registering for a Filipino class and they're like, I've never heard of any of this in my life. Like my parents can't help me. My family can't help me. So when I started realizing it cannot be only Ilocano focused, it has to be bigger than what we can do. And that also there's so much a wealth of knowledge because just behind Ilocano on speaking only for Hawaii based, there's so much Cebuano and Visayan. Like we recently connected with the Visayan Cebuano um, University 
not university. What's the hall again, Janine? With Monica Isabel? United Visayan Community Hall. UVCH is what they yep. call themselves. So, yep, there's all these like little gems and places of so much more than Ilocano or Tagalog that are teaching it and have been teaching it. Like there's all these people with a wealth of knowledge and a curriculum that they've already been teaching within their households, within their community members or church groups. So there was just a need. I think that's where it really had to just become more than just Ilocano. If that answers your question. Yeah, definitely. Um, Definitely answers my question. I wanted to ask about something that you were talking about, Janine, about when you're visiting and learning that, um, uh, you know, your younger folks, a lot of times aren't learning Ilocano anymore. They're just learning Tagalog, right? And this kind of, um, yeah, the, the, the loss of language, right, of, of um, uh, regional or, or other languages uh, in favor of these bigger national or global or imperial languages. Um, and I just wonder if, you know, you all could talk a little bit more about um, why you think language preservation is important. Like what is lost when a language is lost? I can go. So um, I think my favorite, one of my, we can ask, because I'd love to know too, but the board members, their favorite language or like word in Ilocano, I think mine would be like, or one of them, top five at least, because it's hard to pick, but mine's would be like Anak. So that means like a child, son or daughter, like it's not gender based and it's just, it's very sweet. Like it's just, it's very like about like the child. So it's, there's so much culture with the language. And so the main two things with learning Ilocano is that we like to save our spit. And so we always do like um, ease of speaking and agglutination. There's a lot of stuff that happens in Ilocano language like there's words that should have like suffixes and like infixes that are put together. Like there's specifically a lot of phonemic rules where someone's saying something like ukisem, um, and there's things that happen in the ease of speaking and how you'd formally like write it out. But certain words like anak and like nakem, like nakem is really beautiful. There's someone in our community that did a dissertation around it it means like soul consciousness. And I know personally, cause um, last night I was texting the group chat about my grandma's Ilocano, but she would always like, when she's scolding us, she would be like, oh, can they like, agnakam kan. Like you have to like, it was almost like a, you gotta grow up, but you also have to like grow consciousness. And it wasn't until I was like a student at UH Manoa, I was like, wow. I was like, my grandma used nakam. Like I've heard of that before. And I was like, oh, God. And then I started feeling bad because I was like, oh, shit, my grandma was really schooling me. Like, that was like a really deep and harsh word now that I'm realizing it. So, I mean, it's really sweet that like I can think of now at like the age of 27, 28, like, wow, my grandma was really trying to teach me just really good stuff. And then when I started sharing that out loud with other students, they're like, oh, yeah, like I've heard of that. Like, you know, my grandma scolds me about all that stuff, too, but I didn't know like the weight of it. So I think like when you lose languages, like you lose like a part of yourself and you lose like a part of like community languages because it's it's very beautiful. Like there's a lot of really deep like and inner meanings, especially when you start like putting it all together and there's things that get lost. And even in the jokes and context, it's super beautiful. Janine, what's your favorite Ilocano word? Mangan tayong. 
uh, my family, the way I connected with my, with being Ilocano growing up was just through food. Um, my mom immigrated here with me in 95 and she was alone. She didn't have her family here. She just had me, eventually my brother. And every time it's just mom and thayon, it's time to eat. And that's when we were, I don't know, together as a family. Um, but going back to the, to what I said earlier about like the kids in the Philippines not even learning, I, I think um, Dr. Akuili has tried to like pass legislation to um, teach mother languages in elementary schools up to a certain point. So I think what he achieved was up to the third grade. But after that, you know, if you don't keep drilling into those kids' head, they're going to lose it. And then I even remember my mom saying, you know, growing up, I learned Spanish in school. And she's like, why did I even have to learn that instead of like another regional language or even, I don't know, if China was a world power back then. But yeah, just wanted to add that in. Becca, what's your favorite word? I don't know if I have a favorite word. There's just a word that keeps coming up because I was a really bad kid. I'm not going to say it because I don't want to, you know, like dishonor my mom. But I think uh, one of the words I think I would always hear because I I just have an attention span issue. It's like, hoy, you know, like <laughs> with basically calling attention, like pay attention. Um, and so that's the word I use now. Like we use it when my cousins aren't paying attention to me or if my husband's not listening or whatever. Um, that's the kind of the word that I, I use. And it's a funny word in the sense that it's not scolding necessarily. Um, but tying it into this idea of loss of language, I think there's just so much connection, not just within um, like Filipino culture, but just like I think Catherine talked about Austronesian languages and finding those connections where I thought I used to be so distant from someone and to be like, there's actually, you know, like if we're looking at our origin story, if we're looking at the language, the use of the words, um, there's a lot more connection. And when you feel that, I think it's at, at a human level, it, it's much harder to hurt people, right? When you're like, we are connected. You're like my cousin, basically. Um, and one of the, the things that I thought of when Janine talked about going back to the Philippines and how people in their motherland are, are not necessarily learning uh, is like this kind of capsule quality that Hawaii has where people come from their, the motherlands to relearn things, right? Not just, you know, like practices and languages that no longer exist there. So I think that's kind of like one of the unique things about kind of the work that we're doing, that we're, we're kind of serving that purpose of helping people reclaim and relearn. I'm noticing um, how our conversation with Rebecca and Anthony last year also like took this very personal path. And I just think it's interesting that that's happening again. I think it's kind of a testament to, um, you know, exactly what Kenji was asking about is, is what is lost uh, in, in the loss of language. It can be so personal um, and like foundational to personhood. But I wanted to ask Becca something you uh, said earlier about um, that there were moments when you found yourself needing to lean on your family in different ways to learn 
different cultural ways throughout your process of learning Ilocano and, uh, you know, without going into any kind of like trauma or anything, I just wonder if you have any kind of example or story of like, what were some of the ways you found yourself needing to lean on your family? Sure. And I welcome Kat and Janine to come in if there's something that you're thinking about. But I think one of the things, not necessarily maybe like and I could be super ancestral, but one of the things that my grandmother used to do was she she would dot eat or she would sew or weave. And that was just something like, I don't need to learn that. I don't need to know that. I mean, even with just cooking, um, like the kitchen is a sacred space because when I was a kid, they'd be like, no, don't touch that. Like, you're going to like ruin the lumpia or whatever. And so... Um, I was just like, I don't need to learn this. I just ask them to do it and they'll do it. And so one of the activities actually for the cohort was you're going to ask a family member to teach you something that they do. And um, that was interesting because I've always been used to the dynamic of them asking me to do something for them. Like, can you translate this? Like, what does this mean? Or can you fill this out for me? And so me asking them um, in that way uh, to like, to impart knowledge, kind of like open up this pathway where I, I was like, I can receive knowledge. Like there's nothing shameful about it. There's nothing I'm grateful. So just that in that instance of asking my grandma to teach me how to make a knot and how to like sew things and how to put things um, together uh, was, was really meaningful. Um, yeah. I can go. Um, so it was really different for my parents when I graduated from high school and I came to UH Manoa, and then I started taking Ilocano language and literature. At first, my parents thought I was super crazy. They're like, what are you doing? Like, what are you going to do with that? Because the assumption is still like, if you're not a nursing major, accounting major, a lawyer, or like a doctor, like, like, what is your degree for? What are you doing? But I was really firm in that this is what I wanted to do and was happy about. Eventually, they had to get over it, sort of. And when they did, like, it was between like, helping me out with my homework and my projects. So everything, like I would, it was, I would bother my parents and anyone I could get a hold of, of like, grandma, what is teaspoon in Ilocano? Like, I don't like, I've never heard of that because you guys don't measure anything. Like I'm not hanging out in the kitchen and they're like, oh, I'm going to get a teaspoon of like salt. Like, you know, that's not a thing. And then um, it was really only luck because my mom actually was a teacher, like for her, like Bonangai or Primate, she's actually from Pari'ir which is a really big deal at the time because my mom right now is like around 50 something. She immigrated here in like the 80s, but she was one of the very few um, teachers in her barangay or from her community. But she would like be taking my phone call while she's driving to work like, oh my God, Catherine, you don't know that? Like, I thought you knew Ilocano. Aren't you majoring Ilocano? Like, teaspoon is like quitserita or something like that and I'm just like oh okay thank you mom how do you spell that and she'd hang out so like just like certain stuff of um like just asking and things but it would sometimes it'd be pretty rough but other times it was really good tangents and I was asking like my grandpa or my grandma about homework questions or like cultural practices they'd be really excited about it I think one of the most intense ones was um like tobacco ringing or like tobacco. They used to grow their own tobacco on Kauai and they used to like hand roll their own tobacco. It's like dried tobacco leaves. I don't really know if that's like a appropriate practice or like one of those like okay things to do here, but that's what they did. And it's only till it came up in like Elaine and the Locano program where that was like a thing. And I remember because it was really like 
it wasn't a man's thing. It was like my grandma and my grandpa. They would be in the backyard, like Filipino spotting and like rolling tobacco and all that stuff. So when I like try to remember as like a kid, I remember that. And then I bought it up with my mom and she was like, I used to scold them about that. Like where they weren't allowed to do that. Cause like my mom and everyone, like my grandpa was a smoker. Like he smoked tobacco all the way up until he passed away last year. So he was just, my grandma was, my mom and my everyone were there like, my God, Catherine, why didn't you tell on them? Like, why didn't you like tell us that he was smoking the whole time? I'm like, oh, well, I don't know. Like, I didn't think it was like a bad thing. They would do that all the time. And I was just like, oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> so like, it's one of those little cute practice, like practical quirks that I think that just comes out. And even till now, even that like um, majority of my grandparents passed away. I used to like, now I just still talk stories about my mom. Like, oh yeah, like they used to do this, they used to do that. And they're like, oh my God, they're supposed to be babysitting you. I was like, yeah, but sometimes I'm babysitting them. And they were just kind of chilling out. But it was similar stories growing up where um, my grandparents actually, so my mom's parents, they immigrated here to Hawaii to just to watch me and my sister. So just this like notion where my parents were working two jobs. My mom only had like Wednesdays off. Like she worked all the other six days a week till this day, actually, too. But um, just that little thing where my grandparents were the one that really raised me and watched me. Um, one of the first things I learned in Ilocano was over the phone telling my grandma who worked at McDonald's to get me McNuggets. Like a uh, grandma Kayakumanti McNuggets or like I want like just trying to do my McDonald's order in Ilocano. But just all like these little things and quirks where I'm really happy my parents taught me Ilocano. It's really different where I grew up or how I grew up. Um, my parents, they already knew that they wanted to immigrate my grandparents to come and watch me. So they were like, nope, Catherine, you have to learn Ilocano. Like if someone's speaking you in Ilocano, you have to like rip, talk back to them in Ilocano or you just can't speak. I think it's also because I was like really talkative or <laughs> just like finding any circumstance to try to make sure like I could just be quiet for like a second because I'm the youngest sibling of five. So I was the really loud and naughty one. So they were just always really excited to like enforce that rule of like, oh, do you know how to talk to grandma back in Ilocano? And I was like, no. <laughs> so, like, so it was one of those like things growing up that I realized was very unique because as I moved to Oahu and I was sharing my experiences they're like oh we didn't have that like oh like like yeah I would talk to my grandma back in English and I was like oh like I would get scoldings for that like I wasn't allowed and um there's even like these little quirks too that I found out really was important with like the older generations of Filipinos or Locanos it's like agdayo where it was just one of those habits where my parents always told me like oh like like you have to say their title or name after like like when grandma or like yes mom yes dad it was never a little like hard like yes or no or I don't know like it's really sweet and even now if I go home to Kauai and I try to do that to my mom or my dad they would like immediately get really upset because like it's just one of those cultural things that is super like important and I realized as I was speaking to community members here like they're like wow like I like working with this girl she's so like nice and she's so like her like demeanor and stuff and I'm like oh I learned it from my mom like that's like where I learned all these little quirks and all that stuff I don't know where I took this but <laughs> Janine uh I remember when I was taking the line three I had to um 
I had to translate like my my speech and I was asking my mom what does this mean or how would you pronounce it and she's like I don't know I don't know how you would do that it's an older word or it's like a word that maybe her area kind of phased out so then I had I'd have to ask my dad and he's like oh that's an old word and it means this and this but I haven't used it in a long time so that was very interesting um I think my uncle also kind of forgets I mostly just speak English and he'll code switch to Ilocano while speaking to me. And I'm like, okay, I know that word, that word and that word. So I think you're talking about this, but I'm just gonna go mm, to say, I understand and not give like a, a real answer until I fully know what you're talking about yet. So that's been my experience with my family. Um, but recently I haven't been able to speak it in my home. So I'm trying to get back into it. Uh, it's cool to hear all these stories of how um, you all as individuals going through this process, you were really going through it with your families. Um, and it sounds like the, the curriculum, the, the lessons in the program were intentionally trying to uh, encourage that by asking, you know, to uh, ask a family member to teach you something or that sort of thing. Um, and I'm wondering if we could talk now about that experience in the class, you know, what, what is that like for uh, Latin students? What was that like for you all? Um, you know, any stories from the class um, or just kind of give us a sense of what it's like to be in the Latin classroom? Um, I will share. I got to be the, I think the last cohort before the pandemic. So in 2019, um, so all of our classes would meet on the weekends in person and it was, I want to say eclectic because, um, Dr. Ormanong Akwili was the teacher and what I thought going in was like, okay, I'm going to learn like the basic grammar structure and then we get to practice. There was that, but he actually started us off by like learning folk songs and songs um, in Ilocano. And I think like that was like the highlight, I think, of of that when I learned the song um, Isam, which is Smile, uh, because we were having like a family picnic and my uncle was listening to KTUH where they have Filipino music playing on the radio. And then that song was playing and he always pokes fun at me at parties. Um, not going to get into that, but for whatever reason, like he was playing the song, I sang it and then he just became extra like super sweet to me after that. And so, um, but being in, in, just going back to the class and just how eclectic it was, it was just like, it was kind of organic in the sense that whatever we would ask of our instructor, he would, you know, he would jump to that topic, but also just the examples he would use to create sentences were so humorous. Um, I, I forget, like there was like a lawyer in our class, his name was Joey. I don't know if you guys remember Joey, but now he does like real estate and, he was using, he was talking about money and saying like, oh, you know, Joey's a lawyer. So I'm going to ask Joey to, to represent me. And then Joey asked me if I have money. And, and so he did. And he's like, I don't have money. Like he said it in Ilocano. It was just hilarious. Um, and that was kind of like the best part is just like, it, it didn't feel as formal. It felt like I was 
you know, with a, with a bunch of friends, family, and then we're just singing and having a, a wonderful time. And, and I think that's the beauty of community based learning as opposed to like you sign up for a credit course. No, there's nothing wrong with that. I like I'm going to school too. <laughs> um, but there's just much more like flexibility and like fun, I guess. Yeah. I can go. So I think my favorite part about Ilocano and Urla Ileing is that it was a really fun community base because I think when you're in the Ilocano like program and department, you're always like deep into like the knowledge and the idea. So just bringing into like more community members who have like absolutely no knowledge or like very superficial knowledge, it was super like fantastic. It was like a really fresh breath of breath of air every Saturday. Like that we get to go and hang out in the Filipino community center and sing songs and like be with like my mentor and like do run this cohort. Because while you're learning Ilocano, it was very heavy. Like it was always just very heavy. Because as soon as you start learning about like being a Hawaiiano and that's like a concept for the Philippines or Philippine Ilocano people. It's that um you immigrated to Hawaii and now you're somebody. Like you're now you get to like give money back to the Philippines. There's like a song about it. And then when you learn about the in-depth struggle of like, you know, students or like now like the growing up Ilocano that don't know who they are or their language or like the high cost of living. And then you want to top on that extra layer of settler colonialism of what it is and what we're doing here and that we don't actually belong here. <laughs> like just like of learning all that intricacy and just like battling with it every day of like my parents are so happy to be here and they're so grateful but look at their quality of life look at like they're living like they're here for like a little bit to go retire in the philippines and then the philippines has its own issues of economics of like exporting like overseas labors and just like what's happening on like a big scheme and a small scheme and it happens within families a good example is that my auntie lisa she was actually um, a Hong Kong lady. She, she went to Hong Kong for overseas and she was there long enough um, doing like housekeeping work and like being a nanny where like she really didn't get to like enjoy and settle and get married till like she was over 30. They all immigrated here, which is like a really good, happy story. But in the same sense, they immigrated here. <laughs> so like it's just I think from Monday to Friday, it was just the heaviness and like always like kind of tackle critical issues but Ila Ng was like my really happy escape on Saturdays and it still is too because it's not my actual like full-time job it's now like a Sunday thing and a Saturday thing with you folks but it's just it's really exciting because it's still with like a lot of community members that have like no knowledge yet of what's going on but still willing to learn and it's just it's really validating too of just like okay well why am I like majoring in Ilocano? Like what, like, where is this going to bring me? Where is it going to take me? But I get to see all these like little gems and, and I get to see like laying grow into this thing, which is super, super awesome. But it's just a really good community class because it attracts just anyone and everyone. And it also brings in families, which I think is so exciting. Like there's like always this thing where we're always carrying our family or we always are. I think that's like our thing. Like that's just, our heritage and who we came from and how we were raised. Like we really are just a product of our community sometimes. So just that idea that we can run a community language class that is free and fun and enriching and that can connect people and make long lifetime friends, I think is what makes Laing and Elaing like my favorite places to be. I've seen families take the class together. Um, I think 
in your cohort back then, there was like a husband and wife that started the class. I don't think they were able to finish, but um, they wanted to bring more Ilocano into the household. So both the husband and wife, I don't think the husband was Filipino. So he was there and seeing that willingness to learn about his wife's culture was very nice. Um, I remember like brothers and sisters taking a Visayan class together, um, cousins in that Visayan class. Um, and I'm not super involved with the class itself, but I try to show up for the first and last meetings. And I always see people bring in their family into frame because we've been online for the past two, three years. And I, I remember one person, it's like, oh, here's my mom. She's going to help me sing this song. Or, um, oh, my, I, I made this dish with my family uh, and we're eating it now during this, um, during our graduation. And it was really nice. So um, while I'm not involved, I can see that it's bringing so many families together. And I think that's really nice. Awesome. Well, uh, what is the best way for folks to, um, who are interested in taking one of your courses or getting involved in some way? What's the best way for folks to get in touch? Sign up to our mailing list. We don't do um, newsletters too often. We're trying to. But um, those who sign up for our mailing list will be the first to know when registration is open. And we're pretty active on Instagram. And I think it cross posts to our Facebook, but honestly, we're not active on that either. So I think <laughs> I think the best way to get to us is through email or our mailing list. But we are trying to reach out to other communities. So we'll try to blast it through the Philcom Center, um, through maybe the UH systems. And we've had, uh, instructors or people who've done workshops with us um, put their, uh, I don't know, promote the workshop through their school. If they are a teacher or if they're a student, they've helped us spread the word too. Awesome. Well, is there um, anything else that any of you would like to share before we close out? Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for supporting us. Um, I don't think anything that we could do, we could do without you folks. So thank you so much. It's just, um, yeah, I think too, I even added in my stuff. The word for thank you is agyamanak. And it means like, I thank you because the word thank you is agyaman. But when you add the suffix like ak, it means like, I thank you. So like agyaman kami. So we all thank you. The good one too. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you all for making the time to speak with us today. It was really nice to hear your stories and to get to meet you virtually. So thank you for that. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me. And me. With additional support from... Mickey! Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock, written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. A big thank you to our community supporters and to you, our audience, for listening. Ahui ho!